So it feels like I'm literally weaving a stronger connection to this homeland, to the people who are around me helping me do this, and so much to my ancestors. Generations of weaving ingrains itself into our human psyche and sense of our physical sense of knowing. Bonjour, Anine. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Miigwech for joining us. Native Lights is more than a podcast and a radio show. At its core, it's a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week, we have captivating conversations with great guests from a bunch of different backgrounds, musicians, artists, healthcare advocates, language warriors, you name it. We have a great mix of passions, so we talk about them and about our guests' gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And of course, it all centers around the big point of purpose in our lives. And it's another week, another opportunity to amplify Native voices today. Cole, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. Uh, The big point of purpose in my life right now is trying to get our house ready for move-in. And that's going to be in a few months. So uh, the checklist is lengthy and the job's seemingly endless. So just uh, trying to get wrap my mm-hmm. head around that. How do, you, how do you deal with not getting overwhelmed with house stuff? I am probably not the best person to ask, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So I think just understanding giving up on <laughs> the uh, expectation that it's going to be done at any point. It's yeah. always there's it's an yeah. imperfect process, kind of like life, you know, expectations and reality. They never perfectly match. So being flexible <laughs> in what success means to you. What does success mean to you? Nice. nice. <laughs> does it mean that you have a warm place to live and it's habitable? And mm-hmm. does all the things you need to do, or does it have to be super fancy, or I, I don't know. So you got to define that for yourself. I know that we have about a hundred home projects that we still need to do. So yeah. it's never ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm fine this time. Ready to go. Ready to rock and roll. <laughs> all right, let's rock. This week, our guest is Fern Renville. She is a storyteller, artist, playwright, and enrolled citizen of the Sisseton Wapitan Oyate. Fern lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, where she is currently investigating the role of nettle fiber in Dakota material culture as a native artist in residence at the Minnesota Historical Society. Oh, and I also like, she says she's a quote, nonprofit thrill seeker. So we'll figure out what that means and uh, get into all that and more. So here she is. Boujou, Fern. Hello there. Hello. Could you please start out by introducing yourself, uh, you know, where you're joining us from, tribal affiliation, all that good stuff. Fern Naomi Renville, my name is Fern Renville, Damakota. I am Dakota. I am an Enrolled citizen of the Sistan Wapitan Oyate. We are from the Lake Traverse Reservation in South Dakota, and we are the band that was forcibly relocated 
from the Twin Cities at the time of the quote-unquote uprising. <laughs> so I am, I would say I'm a reconnecting Dakota person who's reconnecting with my Twin Cities homelands as a person who has grown up mostly outside the state of Minnesota. My father is Rob Renville, who's also Siston Wapton. My mother is Jan Salazar. And I'm also Omaha and Seneca Cayuga descendant through my grandmother. But I didn't grow up with a lot of exposure to my Seneca Cayuga heritage and grew up thinking of myself as just plain old Dakota. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. We like to ask, how are you doing? Uh, how's the family doing? Oh, we're doing really well. My son is currently visiting and he's kind of the young, healthy muscle who can carry things for me when we go harvesting and hiking. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> but yeah, life is good. I, I like the cold. I just realized I'm a northerner. I've spent time in warm places and just never felt physically as comfortable as I do in the cold north. And I'm absolutely convinced that just like the plants and the animals, that humans benefit health-wise from the cold, because I just feel like once we have this cold spell, something about my energy shifts and it makes me feel good. That's wonderful. I, I feel that. Well, Fern, I know our paths have crossed in the past with New Native Theater, which was lovely. And I'm wondering, is there anything that's on your mind lately that is percolating, that is coming to the top, that you're just uh, maybe bursting to get out? There's so much. <laughs> this has been kind of an um, almost overwhelming year for me in how much I have learned about Dakota weaving traditions and plants that I have gotten to become more intimately acquainted with this year and spend time harvesting and working with them and learning from people who know more than I do. And I, as a young person, I when I was a teenager, my family moved to New Mexico and we lived on what was then called San Juan Pueblo now called Okewinge, and I completely fell in love with Pueblo pottery and weaving, and I wanted to be a Pueblo weaver so bad, <laughs> but I thought that that wasn't a Dakota tradition, and many years passed, and it wasn't until decades later that I discovered that, in fact, Dakota people are potters and weavers, and that when we were removed from our river, we were removed from those traditions. And so the Sisseton Wapatin name that our tribe carries, you know, Sisseton re refers to the fish. We ate a lot of fish scale village. Some people say it means Wapatin, Wapetouan, Wape is leaf. And the Sisseton Wapatin people were the people of the Medicine Lodge. We were the Wapetouan because we had a sacred relationship with the medicine plants of this river. And 
not just Dakota and Lakota people came to our medicine lodges for healing, but also Ho-Chunk and other peoples. So we were renowned for our plant medicine. That's not really something I grew up understanding or knowing because I think of that injury that happened to our ancestors when our traditional roles and relationships were taken away. I mean, I grew up sort of hearing a lot of derogatory comments about farmers and farming, which of course is natural when you're living in South Dakota, surrounded by literally homestead farmers who are all white. And and because of when we were removed from our homelands and placed on the reservation, men were also forced to take up traditional European farming. So this was a role that was taken away from Dakota women. So Minnesota's first farmers are not the homesteaders. Minnesota's first farmers are Dakota women who grew corn and squash and beans and melons and pumpkins and who sustained all the early fur traders and settlers, missionaries, soldiers. There are little literal receipts <laughs> for all the supplies and testimonies from white folks who all remarked on how fortunate it was that these Dakota women knew how to grow food and took the time to share the knowledge of how to prepare. Corn, for instance, was not the sweet corn that we think of, more like flint corn. It had to be specially processed and cooked for a long time, and settlers just didn't know that. So Dakota women had farming taken away from us, which was European settlers like remarked on how the Dakota women were forced to do the menial work of farming. And that's not, that was simply their perspective. Dakota women were not demeaned by this sacred role. In fact, we were esteemed in our communities for our ability to bring forth life with our bodies and our ability to bring forth food from the body of Mother Earth. These were considered highly valuable roles and keeping the people alive. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Fern Renville, a storyteller, artist, playwright, and enrolled citizen of the Sisseton-Wapitan Oyate. And she lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. Wow, that's a lot, like a lot of history and like, you know, realization. What got you to dive into this, Fern? Was there something that motivated you? It was literally the nettles. I learned to weave from Northwest Coast Salish artists who use nettle a lot and just fell in love with the plant. And this was literally 20 years ago when I had no idea that Dakota people were also weavers. And then about 15 years ago, I visited the office of Tamara St. John, who's our tribal archivist back in Sisseton. And she had these big pottery shards on her desk. And I was like, what are these? They look really contemporary. And she's like, oh, that's from our dig. And I was like, wait, what? You mean a Sisseton pottery? And my head just was like, what? And then I looked at it. And in the clay was this imprint of old like woven fabric, some sort of fiber. 
And then my head just exploded. And I was like, what is this? And she said, that's the woven cordage netting that would be wrapped around clay, like cash balls and things. And it was used a lot for just an everyday packing material. That just really got me thinking. And I was literally living in Seattle, Washington at that time. I now live in St. Paul, Minnesota, because I've been following this kind of obsessive thread. And I'm kind of an obsessive person. So so it brought you to Minnesota? It did. It brought me home. I, and so I had never lived here in what is the Dakota homelands. And 90% of Dakota people still live outside the state of Minnesota, of course, which is a natural consequence of actually that law putting a bounty on our heads is actually still on the books. Mm-hmm. It has never been formally mm-hmm. rescinded, which is weird. Yeah. But um, I, I, of course, have family here and deep family history, and I've had siblings who've lived here at different times, and so I've spent a lot of time here and certainly worked here, but I had never lived here. And that is actually a very different thing. And I find it to be kind of emotionally labor-intensive <laughs> at times because I am confronted with these layers of you know, more recent genocidal history that is kind of superimposed on the landscape here for me in a way that if I'm visiting a Pueblo in New Mexico or my husband's people on the coast of Washington, I'm not triggered in that way because it's not my trauma (laughs) when I learn their history. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When we are kind of processing our own more deeply, but it's an opportunity. And I've also like really... Mm -hmm come deeply to understand that the trauma here is just the most recent layer and underneath that are centuries of love and joy experienced by my ancestors in this place and that's more powerful and that's what I'm interested in tapping into Mm -hmm. because I know that's what's restoring us and and why we're still here. That's beautiful to hear. So you are currently right now correct me if I'm wrong, investigating the role of nettle fiber in Dakota material culture as a native artist in residence at the Minnesota Historical Society. So could you talk about that program, you know, how you got involved in it and just how how uh, it's helping push that work forward? Absolutely. Well, my family prides ourselves on being historians. And so when the new Minnesota Historical Society opened up, my uncles took me there and we visited. And that's where I first saw examples of Dakota weaving, which so once again, I didn't know that Dakota weaving was a thing or what it looked like or anything. And so there are, in fact, examples at the Minnesota Historical Society of woven Dakota objects from a couple centuries ago that gives you an amazing idea of what our ancestors were up to. So it's literally the fact that there's also no place else where you're going to likely find as deep of an archival record of Dakota making here in, in Minnesota and our history. And I'm sure I don't need to tell you that it's also, of course, traumatic to visit a museum. And of course, the Minnesota Historical Society does not hold human remains. And the Native staff who work there are just freaking awesome. I love them. 
they're working very hard to make a place for Native artists to be in residence that takes into consideration all of that emotional labor around, say, like, so my very first visit to the collection, which was meant to look at weaving materials, I got completely sidetracked because, of course, like the weaving materials might be right next to something else. And so I know they've got a system, but it looks to me, it looks randomly disorganized. <laughs> but I was like, look, these there were these uh, quilled sheaths, a knife sheath. And there's a collection of them there right next to the weaving materials. And these quilled knife sheaths are the knife sheaths that a Dakota woman would have received along with her knife as a coming of age gift when she became a woman. And you would not be separated from that knife ever. The knives were records of a woman's doing in this life. When a woman made a built lodge, she would like get a mark on the handle of her knife that showed her accomplishment. And so you would be buried with your knives. Under no circumstance would a Dakota woman be separated from her knife and knife sheaths. And yet, here there's a collection. And I asked, I was like, well, where did these come from? And they looked it up and it was like, collected by Captain Smead during the uprising. And it's like, oh, that's not cool. (laughs) So going into a space like the historical society as a Dakota person is absolutely Mm. walking into the belly of the beast. But there are people there who are working to make that a non-traumatizing experience. And they totally understand why I might need to smudge before or after or uh, not not in where the collection is, but I've been allowed to bring a spirit plate in. It's like all these mm-hmm. artists' work is kind of also like held captive too. So, but this is not to say that my time there hasn't been just transformative. So, all I wanted to do when I was a kid was tell stories and make things out of plants. <laughs> and the storytelling part I was encouraged to, but I was absolutely, I got the message that growing plants and wanting to mess around with weaving stuff wasn't a Dakota thing. And so I'm having that like dispossession healed right now. It's like weaving is a totally Dakota thing. Gardening is a Dakota thing. Plant medicine is a Dakota thing. We are the people of the Wakan, the sacred leaf. We have story that says that a star being came and married a Dakota woman and their child ended up teaching the Dakota people the plant medicine knowledge and and brought a spirit of higher consciousness to our people. So our plant medicine is associated not just with healing in this world, but with our spiritual connections to the next world. So I am loving getting to heal that for myself, not just for myself, but also like Someday, some Dakota person is going to want to make some weaving and they're going to know that that's totally cool and that that's something that their ancestors loved doing. And when they are 
developing those relationships with those plants, that means they're going to be out on the land, reconnecting to the land. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Fern Renville, storyteller, artist, playwright, and enrolled citizen of the Sisseton Wapiton Oyate. That's amazing, Fern. Can you tell us a bit more about the nettle plant and what makes it a great substance to weave with? It is just the trippiest plant. I will never get over what a strange plant it is. So you, if you, have you ever encountered a nettle? Yeah. It's usually pretty memorable because stinging nettle has, the whole plant is covered with these little hairs and each hair is tipped with this little microscopic dot of, oh, what's that called? It's the same acid that ants have, stinging ants have. Is it formic, formic acid? Formic acid. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. And so when you touch the plant, it raises a painful welt on your skin and then makes this fiery itching happen. And then when you scratch it, it breaks open and weeps and gets, oh, it's terrible. It's quite nasty. (laughs) If you do get stung by a nettle, by all means, try not to scratch it. And it actually will die down pretty fast if you can keep your hands off of it. So stinging nettle is a plant that is extremely valued for its nutritional value. It has incredible amounts of things like vitamin K, vitamin C, has tons of calcium. And so it's kind of a superfood. And in the spring, before it flowers, actually before it gets two feet tall is the best, the spring leafy greens that it sends up can be blanched just like you would spinach, and that instantly neutralizes the sting. And then it can be used just like spinach. You can make creamed soups. You can use it in place of spinach in like spanakopita. So any recipe that uses like a spinachy sort of thing, you can replace it with nettle, and it's wonderful. I just love it. It also makes great tea and is just a wonderful like foundational tea to have on hand that you can add other flavors to as well. Also, to be flogged with a nettle is actually medicinal. If I were to flog your knee, say, with a stinging nettle, well, you would cry first, (laughs) but then that welt would raise on your knee. And if you did not touch it and just let it die down on its own, within 24 hours, the itchy part would be gone. And you would get the benefit of all of these anti-inflammatories that your body produces prompted by the stinging nettle. And so I have known any number of people, especially like old basketball players, who really have evangelical feelings about nettle flogging and how helpful it is. I have have sort of overuse injuries in my arms and wrists because of a lifetime of overuse. <laughs> but I noticed that about 10 years ago when I started working extensively with nettle that those really cleared up and nothing else has helped like that. So it has been just a very instructive plant to work with. And then one other weird little hack about it is that if you look closely 
at a nettle plant, you will see that the most of those little itchy hairs are on the underside of the leaves. And that on the top of the leaf, the hairs grow directionally towards the tip of the leaf. So that if you kind of grab it and pull it and roll it in the direction of those hairs, you can pull the leaves off without stinging yourself. Then you roll them up and fold them up like a little square. And then you put it in your molar and you crush it. Crushing neutralizes the sting. You just chew it up and then you've got some green goo. It's like a poultice. You put that on your hands. You rub it on your hands and it'll like leaves kind of a greenish yellow stain. It's a chemical glove. It protects you from the sting of the nettle. I have no idea how, but it does. <laughs> That's great. Uh, during my exhaustive investigation and research into this interview, I saw on the Facebooks that you know Lily Gladstone. Oh, yes. <laughs> and just, just in case the listener... Listeners have been living under a rock. Lily Gladstone, indigenous actress, recently in Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese. And she got a Golden Globe already, and this, this is being recorded before the Oscars, so no spoilers on that, of course. <laughs> so in a previous lifetime, I worked as the director of a Native youth theater in Seattle, Washington for nine years. But in that time, I ran an organization that offered free arts programming for Native youth with a focus on performing arts. And it was, I think it was like 2013, I saw a program in Seattle called Living History where it's like a one-person show and they have actors who teach different units of history. And I saw Lily do an educational theater piece on Japanese internment camps and was really impressed by her. And so I nabbed her after the show and asked if she wanted to have a cup of coffee and took her out and I invited her to come check out our theater company. And long story short, she ended up directing three plays for us. And so the last one she directed was in 2015. And the next year, she was unable to direct a play for us because she was busy making movies. <laughs> so I feel really fortunate that we like nabbed her in that little window where she was doing theater and working in our community. I am so not surprised by Lily's success right now because I have rarely met someone that focused. She's just all business, takes care of her work focus with such, like, she's got great boundaries around her work life. She is so discerning and so incredibly hardworking. And, like, I have no drama to dish about Lily offstage because she never had any. Over the years, we had a lot of programming, so I've worked with a lot of Native teaching artists and theater artists, and I never worked with anyone as focused and professional as for a young person, too, as Lily, and then just her sheer raw talent. I am so not surprised. I'm actually only surprised that it's taken this long for. <laughs> Fern. Wow, Fern. Great. Yeah. I learned so much Loved it. about. Yeah. <laughs> nettles 
you know, I, I mean, I'd seen them just like a casual little casual relationship. Yeah. And I, I love that, you know, in her research, she's not only found, you know, connection to her past, but also connections between Dakota and Ojibwe tribes. Like we share more than people may realize, and especially with uh, when it comes to weaving and mm -hmm. things like that. So miigwech to Fern Renville, storyteller, artist, playwright, and enrolled citizen of the Sisseton Wapitan Oyate. She lives in St. Paul. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leo Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabamen. Gigawabamen. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.